Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the World Soccer Talk podcast. The crystal ball reveals who is getting MLS rights. A new soccer documentary hits the airwaves about one of Europe's top institutions. Charter Cable throws English soccer fans a bone. Why MLS is not in a New York state of mind. And we share our recommendations of what to, what to watch this weekend. On the panel today, we have Kartik Krishnair. My name is Christopher Harris. Kartik, there's probably a whole a myriad of, of, of uh, things we can talk about at first here. But one thing I want to talk about is, I think, broadcasters. I think broadcasters sometimes try too hard uh, when they have, say, a soccer league or a soccer, a soccer competition. Sometimes they hype it up so much. Um, but at the end of the day, to me, like, oftentimes the best leagues don't need to be hyped. The best leagues have all the action and all the storylines and all the scripts and all the action that's played in front of you on the pitch. And then afterwards, whether it's post-game or whether it's pre-match before the next game, um, those what happens on the pitch are the storylines. And we've seen this in previous seasons where with the Premier League, maybe it went through a rough patch and it wasn't that interesting. And then NBC kind of overhyping things quite a bit. Uh, I think they've calmed down quite a bit. But um, what, what about you? I mean, do you kind of sense the same thing, too, that, that sometimes broadcasters uh, try too hard to, to make something appear better and, and more, more, more uh, magical than, than what it actually is on the pitch? Yeah, I think ESPN now is falling into that pattern that we long uh, critiqued NBC for with their La Liga coverage. I'm uh, been a, was a little stunned by the weekend that was where any ESPN program I turned on, uh, starting from Friday, really Friday through, uh, and it was a late kickoff Sunday, so it was actually uh, they had a full weekend of hype of of the Madrid derby, and this was reminiscent of what we saw with El Clasico. Uh, what was that last month or, or the month before uh, that they just they geared all of their soccer coverage towards this one match that uh, they oversold. And this uh, this match was was quite frankly terrible. And there is a uh, ongoing debate about Atleti and, and, and how they're playing. But but beyond that and, and, and granted, they did well with that. I mean, I thought uh, K. Murray hosting ESPN FC on the Friday, must have been the Friday before the game, she really uh, uh, 
allowed uh, allowed that conversation to breathe about about Letty's tactics and uh, Stevie Nichol is losing his uh, his patience, right? About <laughs> saying, "Look, it was different when five years ago he agreed. Look, they didn't have the the resources of their of the opposition. Simeone had to play this way, but now they've gone out and spent arguably more money than." Uh, he, maybe not net spend, but in just in general, uh, in terms of, of fancy attacking players, and they're still playing this way. Uh, I guess... Sid Lowe, of course... Uh, yeah, no, go I, ahead, I was go just going to say, I, I guess in some ways, before this game uh, happened, so last week's podcast, I bought into the hype, you didn't. Because I, I, that was my match of the week to watch, was Real Madrid against Atletico Madrid. I was like, okay, Madrid derby, this is going to be really great. You mean, Real Madrid, I mean, Atleti has a chance to close the gap. Atleti did really well in the Champions League against uh, Porto. I mean, so I, I was bought into the hype. And then, but you said in last week's podcast, uh, this is going to be a pre- pretty straightforward game. It's, it's, I mean, Real Madrid's running away with it. And Atleti, yeah, they're, they're good, but there's, they're not the same Atleti we've known in previous seasons. And, and the game itself was, was nothing special. I mean, Atleti definitely had some chances in the first half, but it ended up being a straightforward 2-0 victory for Real Madrid. Nothing special. And, and that's the thing, though, too. So many games this season in La Liga, yeah, yeah, there have been some good ones, but nothing really special, nothing really amazing. I mean, yes, Barcelona's you mean, in, a, in a dreadful um, climb downwards I mean, in terms of you mean, I mean, where they are. I mean, they're not a very good team anymore. It's, uh, it's amazing from a few seasons until now what the difference is. But that's the thing. ESPN has spent so much money on La Liga rights that it's trying to it's trying to boost boost it in any way it can. And to me, as a viewer, I'd rather them be more honest and and kind of you know not so hypey and try to kind of talk about some of the other leagues too. As well. they do, of course. But but La Liga is front and center, and the hype does not match the, the reality. No, and it's unfortunate, right? We've talked about this repeatedly, that they've gotten the rights at a very difficult time. Messi has left the league. Ronaldo's long gone. That next star really hasn't emerged. emerged. We think Mbappe very well could be at Real Madrid next season, so uh, that might change the trajectory a little bit. But not only have they inherited it at a time with lesser stars and presumably – diminishing returns in Europe, right? There's this emerging narrative that only English teams and Bayern can win in Europe. I don't think that that's necessarily true. In fact, they did discuss that on one of the ESPN FC shows, to their credit, that uh, that the general consensus is that there are five teams that can win in Europe, four English teams and, and Bayern. And that's not true, uh, in my opinion. But uh, they've gotten the rights at a time where not only is there diminishing uh, quality in terms of the top of the league, but then you have a runaway uh, Real Madrid is is clearer right now in that league than uh, anybody is in in well England is a is a pretty uh, good three way race right now. Uh, Bayern has pulled away from Dortmund in the last couple of weeks, but it's still only six points. Right, it was one point until that uh, very controversial match uh, a few weeks ago. And uh, Italy is a four way race at the top, which does not include Juventus. So that league has now gotten increasingly compelling, right? Mm-hmm. And and I know uh, we'll talk a little bit about uh, the big game uh, coming this weekend uh, a little later in the podcast on, on, in Serie A. But, so now ESPN is left in this position where they have to kind of get kind of preachy and hypey about La Liga 
in a manner and a fashion that uh, they, they've never done with other leagues. And it's very reminiscent of NBC trying to keep people interested in the Premier League when Manchester City was getting to 100 points, when Liverpool was getting to 99 points, and when uh, even the year that there was a title race between Liverpool and Man City, there was, uh, I don't know, 20 or 30 points between them in third place, it felt like, right? And they would, they would, they would still be very preachy. That's, that's what ESPN's feeling like right now. Yeah, and looking ahead at this weekend's matches, I mean, that's part of the other the other issue too is that the the other teams, the less glamorous sides, aren't that um, I mean, aren't that interesting. So, like for example, Real Madrid plays uh, Cadiz, and Barcelona plays plays Elche, and I mean, the, those are not matchups that really kind of get the the, the blood kind of thumping. Like we're like, oh, okay, I got to watch these games. So it's it's a it's a really tough challenge, and and in many ways, I think next season is going to be much brighter for uh, for La Liga, ESPN, Barcelona, Real Madrid, etc. Um, but Bar- I mean, ESPN couldn't have picked a worse time to get the rights with Barcelona in the state that they're in currently. I mean, just just so so. I mean, so so poor, and and it's. I mean, yes, Xavi's uh, come in and he's trying to turn the team around, but he's got so much work ahead of him. Um, yeah, it's 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 unfortunate timing. I mean, yes, I mean we like La Liga, we we like watching the games, we like ESPN, but we just think that uh, I think it's a little bit over the top. Now, Kartik, um, let's skip ahead because we've got a lot of uh, news to get to. And actually, before we go get to the news, though, let's talk about matches to watch this weekend. Uh, is uh, Real Madrid against uh, Cadiz or, or Barcelona against uh, Elche uh, your pick for this weekend? <laughs> no, it's not. Uh, and I, I'm not sure I'm going to pick a La Liga match for a while. Maybe, uh, I, I mean, I think the, the one really good match of the season was when Sevilla played Real Madrid and uh, Lopetegui was right to feel hard done by that uh, result. But that result, which Real Madrid won, uh, effectively may have ended the league title race. So, uh, I, I, yeah, none of those games are going to be on my list anytime soon. So which one is? So I'm going to go with uh, with Spurs Liverpool this weekend on NBC uh, 11:30 NBCSN 11:30 Eastern Time on Sunday. I'm curious now. Now, obviously, Spurs have had some COVID issues, but I'm curious to see how the Conte effect stacks up against a better side. We've seen Liverpool either be very, they're, they're kind of feast or famine, right? They're either spectacular winning matches 4-0 or 5-0, or they're, they're showing some defensive frailties in matches against, uh, against sides that you may not expect. And Remember, this is around the same point they played last season. That match was at Anfield. This one is in, uh, is in uh, North London. But that match at Anfield, if you remember, Chris, was a match where Mourinho tactically seemed to outdo Klopp. And then Firmino got a goal late and uh, Spurs' season collapsed from there. And Mourinho was out of a job within months. So I'm, I'm kind of curious to see if that uh, – if Conte has some sort of similar uh, game plan. And uh, – the, the other thing that's been interesting to me about Spurs under Conte so far, we haven't seen much, much of it in the league because they've had COVID cancellations and, and also uh, I think he, he's used the, uh, Europa, or the Conference League to experiment, uh, which they're now out of, the Conference League. But uh, he's, uh, he's 
kind of betting in some new players, right? We're seeing uh, uh, Matt Doherty, we're seeing Sessegnon play a little bit, uh, guys that can maybe fit his formation as wingbacks that didn't necessarily fit a four-man back line uh, that was being played previously by both uh, Mourinho and, uh, and Nuno, even though Nuno had played with three at the back at Wolves. So I, I'm just curious to see Conte. I guess that's probably why I picked this game. Now, the Conference League is so enthralling, Kartik, that actually Spurs are still in it. They're, they're in a, a playoff game. I think uh, in the next round, so they still might go far in the Conference League. But 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 uh, that's that's the one thing too. Looking ahead to this weekend, I mean, all all of these things are with caveats because we're recording this on Thursday morning. We know that I mean several of the midweek games have been postponed due to uh, COVID um, issues throughout the teams and uh, squads. So hopefully these games happen this weekend. Uh, but the game I recommend is Milan against Napoli. So second against fourth in the Serie A table on Sunday, 2.45 Eastern time on Paramount Plus and CBS Sports Network. This one, uh, in many ways, I'm recommending this one because uh, Dre Codero and uh, Matteo uh, uh, Bonetti are going to be live at San Siro calling this game. And I really hope it happens because uh, this is going to be a great opportunity to see both of them uh, on site commentating a game from uh, this you know, one of the cathedrals of, of world football. So knock on wood for that. All right, Kartik, let's move on to TV streaming news. And we've actually got a lot of news to get to this week. So I'll have you kick it off. Yeah, so this week we had Sports Daily, uh, Sports Business Daily's annual predictions. And regarding the next... MLS TV rights deal, they said, uh, and I quote, ESPN will renew its MLS rights in a deal that looks a lot like the NHL's, which uh, is, is really interesting. That means that most of the league's inventory will stream on ESPN Plus with some games on Hulu. Once regulators approve the Discovery Warner Media merger in the spring, the combined company will pick up the MLS B package and expect Bleacher Report to stream some of those games. Uh, I'd also note that HBO Max has gotten that a little bit of that piece uh, in terms of uh, NHL. So uh, interesting prediction there. Looks like uh, Fox will be out. I, you and I have been saying for a while that Turner or Warner Media, uh, whatever that conglomerate looks like uh, after uh, regulatory approval, will probably get a piece of the MLS rights. Remember, they they pursued the Premier League very hard and just fell short. So it uh, seems like a pretty solid prediction from sports business uh, daily. Yeah, and, and that's the thing, too. So th- these are the predictions from uh, John Urand, who's kind of a well-known uh, sports industry uh, columnist uh, in, in the business. And um, when he does his annual predictions, if we go back one year ago, uh, it was him predicting that NBCSN would be shutting down and that coverage would be moving to USA Network, which which happened. Um, oftentimes when he's doing his predictions, I mean, it's one of those things, it's it's uh, with knowledge of what's happening behind the scenes and then also you know, making some, some uh, analyst or an analysis and predictions. And here with him saying that uh, Warner Media, uh, kind of the Discovery Warner Media merger is is definitely going to be a big player there. Uh, and we talked about that in last week's podcast where HBO Max, Bleacher Report, expect a bunch of the, the games on there and streaming, which means for some soccer fans, that means another streaming service to subscribe to. Uh, Bleacher Report may, may have those games for free, uh, as they've done with some of the um, some of the friendly games. I think Spurs, I think they had uh, last summer or, or the summer before, they had some free games on there too. But um, but yeah, ESPN Plus 
is likely to be a, a main player too with um, with those games. And this is with some games on Hulu. Well, ESPN, if you have Hulu, that integrates the uh, ESPN experience, ESPN Plus experience into there. So um, we will have to wait and see. Again, the announcement is expected in the first quarter of uh, next year, 2022. Um, but that's the predictions thus far in the crystal ball. And it's likely that uh, a lot of that will come true. Next up, uh, NBC Sports have announced details of the big change that will be happening at the end of this month when NBCSN will be shutting down on January 1st and many of the games will move to the USA Network. On New Year's Day, USA Network presents a triple header as it becomes in quotation marks. And this is how uh, NBC Sports is uh, labeling USA Network. Um, USA Network will become the cable home of the Premier League. The New Year's Day triple header on USA Network and Universo includes Arsenal against Man City at 7.30 a.m. Eastern time, Watford against Spurs at 10 a.m. Eastern, Crystal Palace against West Ham at 12.30 Eastern, and then on Sunday, January 2nd, Premier League action is highlighted by a matchup of title contenders as Chelsea hosts Liverpool at 11.30 Eastern time on USA Network and Telemundo. Now, a question from one of our listeners, and that's Stevie G fan. And he says, I'm waiting to hear how NBC handles the telecasts beginning January 1st across their networks. If they leave some matches exclusive to USA Network in the big uh, cable bundles, that will be frustrating. As a cord cutter, I don't want to pay $35 for just that one channel on Sling TV. And as we see here, too, um, the games that will be on USA Network will also be on Universo uh, or Telemundo. So um, oftentimes you can get a streaming package that includes Universo for a lot cheaper um, than getting USA Network, which I think probably the cheapest one is $35, like Stevie G fan says on Sling TV. Kartik, uh, so moving on from the Premier League back to Major League Soccer and um, some more news this week from them. Yeah, the MLS uh, 2022 broadcast uh, schedule has been announced and it features the largest uh, uh, amount of uh, network uh, coverage games in the league history. A record of 48 matches will air on network television across ABC, Fox, Univision and Unimas. Uh, MLS action on will air on ABC nine times in 2022, which, by the way, is not a record for ABC. That record was set in 1999, but uh, is a, is a high for recent years on ABC. Uh, nine times on ABC in 2022, with a total of 34 matches aired across ABC, ESPN, and ESPN2, which is roughly about the same amount they've been airing. We're just seeing more ma- matches move to ABC, uh, all of which will also be available on, in Spanish on ESPN Deportes. Fox Sports will showcase 34 matches in the upcoming year, highlighted by 27 on FS1 and 7 on Fox, with twice as many primetime windows as the network's 2021 slate of games. Additionally, all 34 matches will air in Spanish on Fox Deportes. 32 matches will be broadcast in Spanish across Univision and Unimas. Those are all network broadcasts. And uh, I believe, uh, actually, Chris, those matches air on 2DNA also. Yeah, I think so, and and that's and that's the thing that too. I think Kartik with uh, 2022 being a big year for the World Cup is a lot of these broadcasters will want to have soccer on uh, over the air networks. So a lot of the, these games on ABC, Fox, 
uh, Univision and um, Unamas. And this gives an op- good opportunity to be out there front and center um, and then hoping to you mean, take advantage of maybe an increase in interest in uh, in soccer this year or 2022 with the World Cup coming up. But uh, yeah, more games on uh, over-the-air television is, is certainly uh, a good move for Major League Soccer in its last year of its uh, current uh, TV um, uh, deal. Now, speaking of uh, TV deals uh, from this past weekend, we had the MLS Cup final, of course, and uh, the viewing figure for that one was 1.494 million across ABC, Unamas, and Tuduene. What seems to happen, Kartik, almost every year is I think a lot of journalists get hyped up about the overnight numbers. So, I mean, a game that's on, on a Saturday, um, those uh, viewing numbers uh, won't be available usually until Tuesday. But um, Nielsen often uh, re- releases overnight numbers. So then on the Sunday, you can look at those. And those are only for select cities throughout throughout the United States. And uh, in previous years, journalists, including this year, uh, journalists get really hyped up. They're like, oh, my gosh, I just saw the overnight numbers. This looks like it's going to be a really, really big number. Having said that, I think 1.494 million is a good number. Um, the coverage was great on ABC. Uh, it wasn't the greatest final. Uh, the the equalizer by t- the Timbers, uh, kind of in injury time or in the last minute uh, of regular time, w- was fantastic. It was like, okay, great. Th- thankfully, that, that that went in. And um, then we went through extra time and then to penalty kicks. And, and we've seen that so many times this season in the MLS Cup playoffs. So many games, so close, so tight. Going through extra time and still, still no winner, and then going to penalty kicks, and ultimately, in NYCFC uh, wins it with the penalty kicks. Kartik, what's I guess two questions here. First of all, what's your take on the number? But second of all, did you expect this to be greater because of the the New York influence? No, I, I think uh, I, I hope MLS is finally realizing New York and LA, Boston, they don't really move the needle. Uh, Maybe Philly would. I mean, that was one of the reasons I was kind of uh, as a neutral in, in, in when it comes to this league, uh, although I do have my preferences about certain clubs. But Philly might be one of those clubs now because of the way they play. But I thought Philly being the kind of sports town it is. And I had seen the Philly uh, sports culture, Philly sports hype machine start talking about the union in a way. Uh, Philly, you have to – I think a lot of our listeners know the kind of sports town Philly is. So, uh, And they have – I think a permanent kind of complex with New York and Boston. So this was a uh, this was a thing they could put over both towns, and and uh, the union might have helped spike that rating. No, I don't think New York, L.A., Boston, uh, Chicago do anything for MLS ratings. The number was up was decent, and I think the number was decent because people love watching matches and uh, in, in Portland. It's a great atmosphere. It is something that MLS can sell is the atmosphere in Portland, the atmosphere in Seattle, the atmosphere in Atlanta and select other places. I think Kansas City actually translates really well on television also, uh, especially when they're good. Yeah. So I would say it's because the match was in Portland that we saw maybe a, a, 
I, I don't think this number was higher than than any than I thought. I said 1.5 million, almost had it on the nose, uh, just slightly below that. But I think it's a Portland factor more than a New York factor. And I I think there's some realization, Chris, in MLS now among some folks that yeah, you know what, the atmosphere is in Seattle now. Austin is another one. Nashville, those are the sorts of things we need to be selling as a league. New York, L.A., uh, Chicago, the big markets uh, outside of Philly, which I mentioned, uh, the other big markets, uh, San Jose, they're not really. They're not really moving the needle, but um, there's still some people uh, kind of in the sports media world and in the old kind of market driven thinking of American sports that say, ah, New York, New York, New York, L.A., L.A., L.A. And uh, they will, in fact, uh, spin this number to say the number got higher because of New York when I would say it got higher because of Portland. Yeah. And, and that's the thing is MLS is is trying to crack that New York market as well as Los Angeles market. And for um, for MLS, when they saw that NYCFC went in through to the final, they were probably, you mean, <laughs> jumping for joy, thinking, okay, great, finally, you've got a New York team in the final. Here's a huge opportunity to get the city behind the team, to get viewers I mean, pumped, in, pumped up and watching this game. New York can make a difference. Such a huge metropolitan market. They didn't. They didn't even mention this uh, game in most New York media. Okay, so that that's the, that's where it falls in the New York market. Whereas Philly, which is the fourth or fifth largest media market in the country, it's not a small place at all. Sometimes it's a New York shadow, so people forget how big Philly is. People were pumped about the Union after they beat Nashville. And uh, unfortunately, they had the COVID situation. But I, I think that would have been the capture for MLS in a big media market. Would have been if Philly had been in this final. Yep. Philly had hosted the final, and it would have been it would have been amazing. I think it would be a huge event for MLS. Maybe next year. Maybe Philly hosts next year. Let's just hope. For that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it could have been Real Salt Lake. But 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 that's the thing though too. Is <laughs> I, I don't I don't think MLS <laughs> is going to give up on the on the New York market or LA. And they're just going to keep on driving that home, just trying to schedule those big games, NYCFC or you mean whatever it may be, or LA Galaxy and El Trafico. Keep on hitting that, hoping that one day magically those markets will come alive and there'll be some big numbers. But looking specifically at those numbers, Kartik, so when we get TV TV viewership, so we see how many people are watching a game, and like we said, like 1.4 million people watch the final, but... We also get um, rating shares, and what this means is the the percentage of the, of that regions of that TV market. How many of them were actually watching the game? So you're right, Kartik. Portland made the difference, right? Portland, uh, their their rating was at a eleven point seven, which is huge for soccer. That is absolutely massive. Uh, so I mean, more than ten percent of the uh, people in the Portland area uh, with TV sets were watching this game, and, and probably the rest were at the game. Um, then you look at some of the other numbers, and then you've got uh, Greenville, Spartanburg, Asheville. So that, I think South Carolina, North Carolina was two point one. Uh, Seattle was one point eight, and then in fourth place was New York with a one point five. So <laughs> you're right as far as Portland making the difference and New York just – I mean 1.5 for, for New York on the um, the ratings there. Um, Philadelphia, even though they weren't even in the final, had a 1.3. So there's almost as many people watching the game in the Philadelphia region as – you mean as a percentage? Uh, this happened when uh, L.A. played uh, played Salt Lake in the final many years ago. L.A. Uh, there, the share that was watching the Galaxy in L.A. was the same as the national share. It was like point nine or something. Whereas Salt Lake, it was like ten. 
uh, one out of every 10 television sets in the Salt Lake City metropolitan area or media market were on the MLS Cup. So again, I, I don't know why this, this thought, thought process has persisted with some people in MLS. I think there are others that are figuring it out and realizing Austin is a, town, is a place they can go to town on, right? There's no other major professional sports there. Obviously, there's a big Formula One race there, but uh, no other, and they have the University of Texas to compete with. But that, those are the sorts of markets where MLS thrives. Yeah, yeah. And Charlotte, starting next year, should be a big one too. Charlotte'll be good. Yeah. Yeah, that'll be a big one. All right, so move. Nashville's been great. So, yeah, so, yes. so moving ahead. on uh, on to the next news item, and that's uh, Paramount Plus has released uh, information about a new soccer documentary entitled "Black and White Stripes: The Juventus Story." So again, that's on Paramount Plus, and I'll read word for word what the press release says, and and, and uh, <laughs> I have to laugh at this. Set against the backdrop of the beautiful game, Black and White Stripes tells the epic story of Italy's legendary Agnelli family and their beloved Juventus FC as they aim to capture an elusive gold star in order to avert annihilation. As the journey unfolds, the film reveals game changers from their legacy and a unique and profound passion. On and off the field, it's love, war and breathtaking cinema as the black and whites accomplish one of sports' most exhilarating comebacks of all time. <laughs> and you can tell that this is definitely not a soccer person that wrote this. Um, I mean, talk about the hype factor. We were talking about ESPN Plus hyping up La Liga. I mean, this is on a different scale. And Kartik, one of your favorite uh, business people there, uh, Agnelli and, and uh, Juventus, right? Yeah, yeah, and this is now like the fourth documentary, if you include that Agnelli documentary on uh, on HBO that uh, HBO Max that has been done by uh, uh, done about Juventus in the last few years. We had a Netflix series, we've had an Amazon series, now we have a Paramount Plus series, and then obviously the the Agnelli documentary I mentioned on HBO Max. And they all seem, uh, maybe not the HBO Max one, but the ones about Juventus specifically seem very propagandish. Uh, I, uh, started watching the, uh, the Amazon documentary last week and I quit, uh, midway through the second episode. It's just clump, yeah. clump propaganda. I, I, and you, you made this point, Chris, I think on, uh, on Twitter. I mean, these things are getting worse and worse, right? There, there's so few of them that are compelling to watch. Yeah. For every Sunderland till I die, there are like 10 documentary series that are just total sanitized propaganda. Right. And, and Paramount Plus, for whatever reason, seems to be adding a lot more of these kind of these type of uh, documentaries there. And, uh, and there's more to come, too. And, and, and I was being kind of sarcastic when I, when I mentioned to Kartik that uh, Agnelli is probably one of his favorite uh, business people within uh, the world, world football. Because Agnelli is one of the, the main cheerleaders for the European Super League. Yep. And, and Juventus, of course, too, along with uh, Barcelona and Real Madrid. So they're the three that are really pushing still for it. I mean, we're almost at the end of uh, 2021 here. But uh, it definitely certainly feels like uh, PR and propaganda. And that uh, press release description was uh, pretty funny, I thought. And, and Yelly, by the way, I, I'm told is heavily influenced by American sports. So maybe even more so than uh, than uh, uh, Florentino Perez and, and the, the folks at Barcelona who just need this for money, uh, uh, purpose of money. Uh, Yelly uh, and the business, the family has uh, you know extensive ties to the United States and other places for for obvious reasons. Uh, if you want more information, watch that HBO Max documentary about uh, the family's fortune. But uh, the, he he uh, specifically, I'm told, is very influenced by the structure of. 
American sports. And that's why he won't let go of the Super League idea. So he very much is into the idea of closed leagues and even uh, made a comment about who wants to see Atalanta in Europe. Even though Atalanta is making Europe every year at this point and is finishing ahead of Juventus quite often. Right. And finished ahead of them last season. Uh, beat them already this season. So I, I, I really took uh, great offense to that comment, p- particularly maybe because I've fallen in love with Atalanta under Gasparini and, and the way they play football. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're doing, I mean, they're a joy to watch, really. Um, just two, two more th- quick things here, too. So Charter Cable has, well, Charter is now offering Spectrum TV customers uh, free subscriptions to Peacock Premium. So if you do subscribe to P- uh, Spectrum TV, uh, you can get Peacock Premium for free, which is great. and get all the, um, the mm. Premier League games there, too. Uh, on, on the other hand, YouTube TV is in a carriage dispute with Disney, ESPN, and ABC. And uh, if a deal's not reached by this Friday, it's possible that um, YouTube TV will no longer have those channels. If they no longer have those channels, they said they will give uh, customers a $15 a month uh, discount, uh, kind of a credit. Um, and at the same time, I think there's a, a big, I think it's, is it a football, NFL football? I'm not sure. There's a, there's a big sporting event this weekend that's happening on, um, I guess, probably either ESPN or ABC. And um, ESPN has said that they would go ahead and have that game. It's not a soccer game. Have that game available on ESPN Plus for those YouTube TV uh, subscribers so they don't miss out. So here we go again. It's another carriage dispute. Kartik, I want to put you on the spot. Uh, I've seen some stuff on social media, but I'm not sure if you're ready to announce it or, or to say anything about it. But I've been hearing quite a bit about local C- uh, lo- local soccer TV. Yeah, so uh, we'll build out and announce some more stuff as as we go. But uh, initially, I am ready to announce something because at the start of the year, we're going to launch a podcast with local soccer TV, which is going to focus each podcast on individual clubs. So, for example, may do something with uh, the Denton Diablos one week, uh, do an extensive profile of the club, talk to the club owner, why they started the club, what, what the community ties are like. And then the next week do another club, a similar, similar format. And that will highlight independent clubs throughout the U.S. The long-term vision is to build out uh, kind of like an ATA football uh, for women's football, that sort of platform for uh, local grassroots soccer in the United States, which would be everything from really from D3 uh, down. So from NISA and USL League One uh, down to through uh, the multitude of adult amateur leagues, D4 and uh, independent kind of uh, uh amateur leagues in the D, at the D5 level that we have throughout the country. We're talking about hundreds of teams. So uh, the, uh, the long-term goal, and we are building that uh, site as we speak, as, I, as I'm uh, teasing here, is to build out a video player and uh, uh, have rich video content. We are going to start with an audio co- uh, podcast to highlight uh, independent clubs throughout the country. So uh, if you're interested, actually, uh, thank you for the opportunity, Chris, to, to mention this. Uh, uh, DM me at KKFLA737 on Twitter or uh, the local soccer tv uh, twitter handle and uh we'll uh we'll start talking and and, and try and uh f- 
feature your club and talk talk about your club a little bit. Yeah, and and just to clarify too, so when Kartik says we, he means uh, local soccer TV, Kartik and and his partners who are launching this service, and and of course, yes, yes, and not World Soccer Talk. <laughs> yeah, yes. although although we completely support the idea, and I think it's a great idea to go ahead and try to find ways to get uh, local soccer TV, lo- local soccer games from around the country more accessible to fans who want to tune in through a streaming service and, and, and watch those games. All right, let's move on to listener mailbag. We've got a bunch this week, some great feedback from you, the listeners, as always. Matt says, hi, guys. I want to get your thoughts on a few things. Uh, Number one, Formula One gave ESPN the rights for free. In exchange, ESPN has gotten a program they show for free on television. If you don't have a subscription for cable, you are still able to use F1 TV as a streaming alternative. Huge win there for them for growth. Number two, I was seriously disappointed by Jim Beglin's co-commentary with Peter Drury for Milan against Liverpool in the Champions League last week. Someone mentioned being disappointed of Tony Jones's commentary of Champions League, uh, but argued that uh, Beglin's commentary on Milan... I I argue that uh, Beglin's commentary on Milan was incredibly critical and harsh to give no sympathy for Milan having six starters out of this game, yet continue to rag on Milan for having no plan. Uh, being very disappointed in them for being the top side without giving any context why Milan struggled. I expected better from him. And from pers- and from personal experience, too. I mean, uh, I- I've had commentators uh, kind of be overly harsh on my beloved Swansea City. And uh, I think I've mentioned some things on, on this podcast or through, through a Twitter and had conversations with the commentator uh, or co-commentator directly. And, and and sometimes, I mean, when it's your team, it, it it hurts. It's like kind of, I mean, I think all of us in some way have have had experience with a a commentator or co-commentator being critical about uh, your team, and it hurts when you're neutral and it's not your team and they're saying that. It's like, oh yeah, I agree with that. Um, but when it's your team, it it's personal. It, it really hurts. It hurts. Um, and maybe it's a little bit of that on that one there, Matt. Number three, Matt says, um, lastly, I will never watch Major League Soccer because there isn't a team in my market and the kickoff times just don't do it for me. I also have soccer fatigue by the end of the day. And I think there's a lot of people that are in that same bucket that are saying there's no local team. Um, I'm sure there's a, a local USL team or a, a local NISA team, etc., um, but however, for Major League Soccer, no team in the local market. Kickoff times. I think we've a lot of us have gotten accustomed to our soccer habits and rituals or getting up early in the morning, watching five to six hours of soccer, and then going out and doing things. And um, when MLS games come on at 10 o'clock at night, at, by that point, we're probably ex- you mean, absolutely exhausted and just burnt out on soccer and, uh, and waiting for the next day. Yeah, and also let me mention on the Champions League uh, uh, situation with commentary, they did the same thing for Atalanta Man United. I can't remember who the commentators were, but there was very little mention of the fact that Atalanta was missing a remarkable number of guys uh, in that first match where they blew the 2-0 lead and, and lost 3-2 at Old Trafford, uh, that they had uh, six or seven regular starters or guys who were part of Gasparini's uh, rotation. So six or seven of the, of the regular 14 or 16 out and uh, that, that seemed to be glossed over in uh, in the analysis of the match 
I can't remember who the commentators were for that, but maybe it's happening more often with Italian teams. Maybe mm-hmm. uh, they're not following Serie A as much as they should. Next up is Fetchin. Fetchin says, I think Major League Soccer will be split uh, with the rights in the next TV deal to Paramount+, Plus, Fox, TNT, TBS, and HBO Max. The dark, dark horse pick is Amazon Prime. No way for ESPN getting the rights this time since they put more time into their college sports. NBC is a pipe dream. I'm also a uh, Formula One fan. Chris says, I recently watched a video on CB- CNBC's YouTube page that talked about the growth of Major League Soccer in the last decade, as well as what the impacts of expansion and the new TV deal in 2023 and the World Cup in 2026 will have on the league. Overall, I thought it was a well-put-together video. Before I go, I have a question about the Major League Baseball lockout. My question is, what do you think the effects of that will be on Major League Soccer and soccer in general in this country should the Major League Baseball season not take place? Kartik, uh, any any effect there? Yeah, I think it would have a, probably a positive uh, uh, effect. Although I'm not sure uh, it's going to happen. But if it does happen, I think it would it, it couldn't it couldn't hurt, right? Obviously, right? Yeah, and there's definitely some overlap between um, baseball and soccer. Where you I mean somebody can be a baseball fan and a soccer fan. If there's no baseball, uh, hopefully that person will watch more soccer. Mukator says Kartik is 100 percent right about the calendar and the weather. Watching a game in the snow isn't fun um, and bad for attendance. Try watching a game in July in Houston or Orlando. It's like Qatar in the summer. Europe is a cold climate. It regularly snows and is freezing for many games. It's not an issue. What is an issue is heat from youth games all the way up to World Cup level at certain temperatures, which are regularly uh, reached in large portions of the country in the summer. It becomes a risk to players and fans to have them out in that heat. Major League Soccer already plays February through December right now. So really, we're talking about 8 to 10 match weeks, which for any MLS team means 4 to 5 home games max. And realistically, 2 to 3 games, uh, northern teams with smart scheduling. Weather should, not, should, should be a non-issue. And if we want to make it one, then we should ask why they are playing a sport requiring requiring 10 kilometers of running in the dead heat of summer. Way more likely to kill someone than chilly weather. Turfit says, Kartik, I would like to hear your thoughts, uh, more of your thoughts about having four or six conferences in Major League Soccer and how you think that would play out. County Cricket in England has a new format this past year that I find interesting. They have 18 teams. They're divided into three pools. The top two pools... Uh, the top two teams in each pool moves up to Division 1, middle two to Division 2, and then the bottom two into Division 3. The winner of Division 1 is the champion, and everything resets for the next season. It's like having a pro- promotion relegation in the middle of the season. This might be a better format for USL to try. First half of the season are teams in their geographical divisions, pools, which would help lower costs and build upon local rivalries. The second half of the season has uh, more parity between teams that should offer more competitive matches that would, uh, be a be- would, that would be better to watch. And they could end the season with a playoff or a cup competition of all the division winners. Now, Kartik, I know uh, yeah. you mean NASL has, has been experimenting in the past with different formats, but what do you think about this one? 
Yeah, NASL we did uh, we did single table, but at times we uh, we gave additional matches uh, in terms of uh, uh, we we had a balanced. Uh, schedule at, at some points at other points we we put an emphasis on local rivalries so for Lauderdale would play Tampa more uh for Lauderdale would play Tampa Bay more uh Cosmos would play Ottawa more stuff like that uh I I like what USL did this past season USL had always had uh not always but at, at one point they had one table now they had they had gone to two they went to four regions this year the Eastern Atlantic Division the Eastern Central Division the Western Mountain Division and the Western Pacific Division uh, my vision for this, and I've actually talked to people, we talked about it at NASL, we've continued the conversations for the last few years, is to see lower division soccer broken out if, if you must have national leagues, which the U.S. Soccer Federation requires under their pro league standards, which I think should be struck down. That's a whole another conversation for another day. But in the, uh, in the period, with, assuming the PLS stays in place, maybe along the lines of college football, uh, traditional college football and college basketball conferences, now we know. Uh, Rutgers is in the Big Ten, right? And and there's there's some odd anomalies like that geographically. Uh, University of Central Florida is going to join the Big 12, but uh, effectively have the historic geographic footprints of the Pac-10, Pac-10 now Pac-12, Pac uh, Big 12, Big Ten, ACC and SEC, and have those as your five conferences, and uh, then create some sort of national tournament at the end. Now, uh, and and I think that would work. Uh, that that's what you have to look towards. For lower division soccer now in terms of MLS I think you promote local rivalries too if you do something like that um, it is good I guess MLS wants those uh, wants those matchups in terms of um, in terms of LA New York for TV purposes as we've talked about I don't believe in that necessarily what I have come around to believe in Chris is that teams in the Eastern Conference need to have matches against Seattle and Portland those two in particular. Yep. So my previous vision that you just break off the two, two and have separate, um, separate kind of silos, one for the East and one for the West, and they meet in the playoffs, I've abandoned that because I know how important it is in Orlando or Nashville or Char- now Charlotte to get Seattle coming in once every two years and then Portland the other year, the reverse year. So, um, so I'm still toying with the idea of, of what you do, but I, I – uh, because you can't have a you can't have an Eastern Conference team say okay you guys can play Seattle every other year but you're never going to have to play Vancouver you're never going to have to play Salt Lake because they're not a draw that's equally ridiculous and anti and and hurts competition so still toying with it but I, I like all these ideas perfect I, I think we can uh, maybe we can build a better mousetrap so to speak uh, to quote Alexi Lawless for MLS and lower divisions at least in terms of formatting and scheduling uh, by thinking about things like this yeah I think the idea about um, the cricket idea can that uh, Turfit uh, proposed is a good one. I, I really like that one. But, um, I mean, you, you mentioned just a second ago, Kartik, about uh, teams. You think it's important that teams in Major League Soccer in the Eastern Conference play teams like such as Seattle and Portland, which I think t- t- totally, absolutely. It's interesting. I mean, so we're, we've just finished now the second season of Inter-Miami, just as one example. And in two seasons, uh, Inter-Miami played against Portland once. And that was, I think, towards the end of uh, this uh, 2021 season. So, I mean, that, that's the only time they ever played each other. It's just, it was strange when it happened because it was like, okay, you mean, when is it? You mean, you would think that they would play more often. Yes, there's travel and different conferences and things like that. But um, that I'd like to see more as far as some of the, the, the teams playing against each other in the same league. You mean, playing more often. I mean, it, it's just um, that would be attractive to me. 
And then last but not least, we have Steve. And this is a little bit, a little bit of a long one in terms of his, some of his feedback, some, but some good, uh, good comments here. So, so hang in there. Steve says, first of all, I'd like to say I do agree with MLS switching to a year-round calendar. Uh, the, the idea of that, it's better for lining up with the international game. But I also agree with a lot of what both Disco George was saying about the pitfalls of the proposed system as well as what Kartik was saying about the issues with the current system. They're both right, because no other league in the world has cities with such disparate climates as Major League Soccer. As an aside, Kartik, you mean maybe the, the Russian Premier League? You mean, I would think that, that that would have, well, maybe not. I don't, I don't have to look into that, but that's my, the first thing that pops in my head when I think about uh, no other league in the world has cities with uh, such different climates as Major League Soccer. Yeah, but for some reason, what's happened in Russia is the uh, the pyramid has segregated itself, right? They don't they in their top flight they don't necessarily eh, they, uh, maybe they do actually they kind of had the diversity of climates we do, but not quite. Uh, and they would if if teams from all over the, uh, the all over Russia were uh, reaching the Premier Division, but they're not. Uh, always, so it's it's uh, right. it's kind of almost as segregated as Germany is. We we've talked over and over again how uh, there are very few teams from the former East Germany that reach Bundesliga one status over the course of the last ten or fifteen years. I mean, the economic disparities kind of explain who who reaches Bundesliga one and who doesn't. Regional economic disparities similar in Russia. And so Steve continues. Last winter, six MLS cities with open air stadiums had at least one month with a lower daily mean temperature than Fort Lauderdale's all time record low of 28 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, those are just daily means. So with lows and wind chill making things even colder, the issue isn't even snow, it's frozen pitches. Having ex- experienced more than 20 upper Midwestern never ending winters, and more than 10 Florida never-ending summers, I can de- definitively say there's, there's a reason people who can afford uh, to be our snowbirds. I personally attended a, a Chicago match, a ch- Chicago fire match, where the high during the game was 31 degrees, and with the wind chill in the 20s in April, no less, and have also attended a number of matches in South Florida as late as October, where the heat index was in the high 90s. That's what I mean by never-ending summers or winters. Miserable conditions for fans, stadium staff, journalists uh, can sometimes persist when the extreme season is supposed to be over. So what can U.S. soccer do? If transitioning to a year-round calendar, uh, I do like Kartik's idea of a month-long mid-season break for a start and then carefully scheduling home games by region. That careful planning could look something like this. No home games or only one home game for each Southern team in late August, September, and October. No home games or only one home game uh, for each Northern team in December, February, and early March, with a league-wide break for the month of January. Extremes are possible in November and mid-March through May, but less likely so matches can be played anywhere during those months. The handful of MLS cities with more temperate climates can hopefully balance things out a bit during the rest of the season. A realignment into northern and southern conferences could even be a possibility. It would be a scheduling headache at first, but unseasonable heat or cold could still be a factor, but it would limit the number of games um, uh, players, staff and fans are forced to endure either frigid wind chills in the north or sauna-like heat indexes in the south, both of which aren't daily occurrences but also not uncommon. I think there's room to switch to a year-round uh, year calendar 
people just need to work together to recognize weather extremes in different regions and make it feasible for a league with with teams in several different climates. Good show as always. And the one thing I, I would add to that, uh, Kartik, is that Steve brings up good points. But the other factor, too, especially in the summertime, um, which I mean, a lot of listeners may not have ever experienced, is in the south in terms of lightning. And, I mean, there was one yes. example of a game that was uh, this past summer, which was, I think, uh, I think it was um, actually it was into Miami, but into Miami against uh, I think New York, I think it was. But the game had been delayed for two to three hours because of lightning strikes. And there's lightning strikes in the area. And then they have to wait another 30 minutes before it's all clear. And then the, another lightning strike would happen. So that game eventually was called off. Um, there's been other games too that that have started late. They I mean supposed to start at seven thirty. It kicks off at ten o'clock. By the time it's done with delays, it, it's you mean you know, one o'clock in the morning or something like that. So lightning is an issue too. It's not just uh, kind of temperature levels, whether it's the heat index. Yeah, actually, lightning is a, is 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 arguably a bigger issue in terms of games, right? In terms of training and, and match prep, I, I say the heat is the bigger issue. But uh, let me just give you this example. I can't remember which season it was. Now my mind is a bit of a muddle. Uh, well, actually, two examples. When I uh, when I was at NASL, we had one season where the Fort Lauderdale Strikers had over half their matches impacted by lightning or, or some sort of weather delay, mostly lightning, which meant over half their matches weren't played the night that they were supposed to be played or were delayed for an hour to a minimum of half hour, right? A uh, half hour, hour, hour and a half. And even if the matches uh, start on time, there's some disruption to the warm-ups because there's lightning and, and uh, the rule is 30 minutes, as you mentioned, Chris. There was another season where that happened with the team in, in Raleigh. Uh, then known as the Carolina Railhawks, now known as North Carolina FC, where they had a number of matches uh, disrupted. And they had such a kind of backlog of this happening that one of the matches we kind of forced to be played, forced to kick off before midnight so it didn't have to be abandoned and finished, I think, two or three in the morning. <laughs> so it is a real concern in the southeast, lightning, um, more than heat when it comes to actual scheduling of matches. And uh, the advent of thunderstorms, during the evening and and night hours is something that we didn't really have in this region 15, 20 years ago. It's something that's, uh, maybe we did have it 15 years ago. It's something we didn't have 30 years ago and began seeing it uh, affect matches the late 2000s and then early 2010s, as I mentioned, with NASL. So uh, that's a, a, a byproduct of the climate changing and, and weather patterns changing. And unfortunately, uh, it's a reality in the Southeast. And MLS has loaded up on Southeast expansion teams recently, right? We're bringing Charlotte into the league next year. We bought, we brought Nashville in. We brought uh, the Fort Lauderdale team in. Obviously, Orlando and Atlanta have been playing for a while now. And uh, this thunderstorm concern, Chris, also I have to mention, has affected a number of MLS matches through the years in D.C. and in Houston. Uh, and it, less so in Dallas, but Houston and D.C. have been through the years, even before MLS had teams or had returned to the southeast. Obviously, there were previously teams in, in Tampa and Fort Lauderdale. Uh, they, uh, 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 they, they have been impacted by it. So if you're going to expand into that region, I understand the, 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 the arguments from, the, from people in the northeast and the midwest. MLS has placed a punt ton of teams there. We don't want to discriminate against those teams. But the recent expansion strategy to come to the southeast, Austin would be another city impacted by thunderstorms. Uh, in fact, uh, the Austin area is, is really infamous for, for thunderstorms and severe weather. Um, I think you have to account for that when you schedule. 
Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be a very complicated uh, scheduling, but I think it's it's important that Major League Soccer looks closely at this uh, for the future. I mean, obviously, 2022, I mean, the season's been set. Um 2023 it's unlikely that they would make the change then but maybe perhaps 2024 it, is it. in fairness 2022 they've had uh, uh had to deal with this world cup being in in november and december so i, I i'm gonna cut mls some slack on the 2022 scheduling i don't think they have much of a choice yeah which which also impacts the kind of the uh, the 2023 schedule too uh, you mean with the yeah. World Cup being played November, December, so that, that kind of uh, messes with things too. But 2024 could be a time that Major League Soccer says, you know what, let, let's try and look at this calendar because there's a lot of benefits to changing the calendar to more of an international calendar or aligned with the international calendar, um, most of which is, you mean, transfer signings and, and buying and selling players, um, aligning with that rather than having, you mean, the misalignment that we have now, and yes, there are weather conditions um, on, on on all so- sorts, and there's probably a lot of listeners now that are probably screaming at me, saying like, Chris, y- y- it's nuts to play a game in, I don't know, Colorado uh, in in the middle of the winter. You, you just, you're, you're crazy. But, I mean, there's got to be a way to work it out where it would work for everyone and to the benefit of Major League Soccer, uh, to the benefit of the fans, but ultimately to the benefit of the viewers too, the actual TV viewers. Uh, and that's why this next TV deal needs to be as big as possible. Who knows? Maybe calendar discussions are part of that. That uh, that those negotiations also. I'm sure a lot of the broadcasters would like to uh, find out uh, more details about that or have the questions about that at least. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to us and uh, sharing your feedback. Uh, if you got something that you want to ask us, we'd love to read your comment out on air. You can always reach us via uh, email through web at worldsoccertalk.com as well as facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk and on Twitter at worldsoccertalk. Plus, of course, you can always post your comments on the uh, podcast thread in the comments section at uh, worldsoccertalk.com. Kartik, all right, fingers crossed. Hopefully, this, a lot of these games will happen this weekend. Um it's uh, it, it, that's a whole other podcast but yeah it's touch and touch and go with COVID. yeah totally totally but like going into this next weekend Kartik uh, what should the listeners do enjoy your football Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.